0: Hi, this is Jim. And this is Max. Check out our podcast, The Step Over, Liberty Ballers Podcast Network, for
1: all of your Sixers needs. Player analysis, game breakdowns, who would look coolest in a headband, and more. Subscribe to Liberty Ballers Podcast Feed on iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, or wherever you get your favorite podcasts, and check out The Step Over, a podcast about Sixers basketball. Mostly Michael Kissed. Benjamin Solak It's the Kist and Solak show presented by SB Nation and Bleeding Green Nation You are flying high on the Kist and Solak Show. This is episode 38, brought to you by the fine folks at SB Nation and Bleeding Green Nation. I am your host, Michael Kist. Follow me on Twitter at Michael Kist NFL. that's K-I-S-T, as always. Joined by the best dog-god co-host in the game, Mr. Eight-Year Streak Without a Bad Day. He is Benjamin Solak. Follow him on Twitter at Benjamin Solak, that's S-O-L-A-K. Ben, man, we're coming back from a bye. It's been a while. How you been, bud?
0: Which episode is it? 38. Who's thirty-eight I don't know if on this? We have this? a player
1: for that. I have yeah, no idea. I,
0: I feel like we don't. I have to check. I'm sorry, I wasn't prepared. Was Raheem Mostert thirty-eight when he was here? I loved Raheem Master. Different story. Shout out Raheem <laughs> yeah, with that awful uh, injury against the Raiders. Oh. I'm well, Mike. How are you? Thank you so much for asking. That for was a good day to be alive.
1: <laughs> that was so gross, dude. I feel so bad for him. He was having a good game too.
0: It's because Raheem Mostert is a fantastic player, which I've been saying from the beginning. <laughs> I loved him. 60-beater champion in the Big Ten. It's great. There is no 38. Trey Sullivan, 37. Chandon Sullivan, 39. We don't have a third Sullivan, but if we did, he would have to be number 38 regardless of what position he played. So to complete the trio.
1: So it's a lost number. It's a lost episode. We're not going to get any downloads on this, so we might as well have a good time. Let our hair down. No one one
0: wants to listen about the Cowboys offense anyway. It's just not, that's not a great time.
1: And that's the topic of today is the Cowboys offense against the Eagles defense on the next Kiss and Solek show. We'll be previewing the Eagles offense against the Cowboys defense before we get to that. As always. We're recording on a Wednesday night, so we have to update you on the first injury report that is out. Uh, before we get to the report itself, some follow-up news here. Timmy Jernigan returned to practice to a limited extent, was not on the report because he's still NFI, and is currently in that 21-day window where they can activate him at any point. They'll bring him along day by day. Also, Mike Wallace expects to get his walking boot off soon, according to Mike Garofalo. Gar, Gar-, Gar- Garofalo? Mike Garofalo. Mike Garofalo. Mike Garofalo. Which one is it? Garofalo. Okay.
0: Did I tell you the story of what Mike did to me over the summer at training camp? No. Oh, I put it on Twitter. Maybe maybe you saw it, maybe you didn't, whatever. So Mike obviously used to be on the Eagles beat, and now he's a national guy uh, for NFL Network. And he was there, you know, just doing NFL Network's uh, coverage of training camp. And I was like, that's pretty cool. That's Mike. Like, I know him. I've seen you on TV. It's awesome. And then my seat in the media shack was where all the temporary seats are. I don't have an actual seat, right? So whenever, like, guest people came in who didn't weren't permanent, they would also sit there. So, like, Mike was sent like, two seats down for me. I was like, this is cool. He's no reason for him to know who I am. Um, but then there was a huge thunderstorm that, like, started right before we got into uh, the shack, right? Yeah. And Garofalo... Uh, like, opens the blinds a little bit, and it's very dark. Like, I can see it out of the corner of my eye. Uh, and he, like, says to somebody else, like, man, like, look at how dark the thunderstorm making things. And then, like, the other person was like, yeah, haha, okay, whatever. But I had to bike back home, because so I was biking to and from the, the center. And so I was like, shoot, if it's, like, really dark, like, I have to just wait here and wait it out before I go home. And so I was like, I've got to see how dark it is. So I was like, oh, excuse me. And so I, like, bump past Mike Garofalo, and I pull down the blinds, and I'm like, jeez, it's dark. And Mike looks up at me and just kind of waits for a second. And I look at the window and realize it's blacked out. Like, the window is, like, covered in, a, in like, a black <laughs> material. So, as to, like, not let light in. And I was like, oh, this is great. Because Mike Garofalo is a national NFL network reporter. He's kind of a cool dude. And I look like an idiot. Um, So, shout out. That was my, that I just was like, oh, okay. And then, um. And Mike and I ended up screaming with each other on Twitter about it, and he was very nice to me because I was a newbie, and that was very it was very <laughs> fun. But yeah, so I'm really good at putting my foot in my mouth uh, in new situations. It's a talent of mine, and I just killed it there. So I'll always remember Mike for that.
1: That sounds like a uh, a real interaction that the Kiston Solak show one of us would have with a national reporter. That's, that's perfect, Listen, Ben. Listen,
0: you, you and you and Mike could both pass for Chris Marigos. I'm just saying, all three of y'all are in that family. Of bearded, bald, <laughs> handsome men. So
1: there you go. Well, I'm sure we'll get along just great, and then I'll do something crazy or stupid, and it'll go downhill, and it'll be a lot worse than your story. But Mike Garofalo, Garofalo has reported that there's a real shot of getting Mike Wallace back. Really hard to get back on the, on the train on the train of thought there, Ben. After that story, but I appreciate Sorry. it. so no it's it's fine (laughs) this
0: this, this podcast is known for staying on the train so i'm sorry to derail it
1: (laughs) (laughs) so there's a real chance that mike wallace could come back at the end of the season is what i'm is what i'm saying here and let's pull up the old report here as far as the eagles go did not participate Sidney jones with his hamstring he's saying that if everything goes okay that he'll be back not this week, but the following week against the Saints. Everything has to go perfect with that, though, and there's still a chance that might not happen. Jason Kelsey was out, was an injury-related. Jalen Mills is not going to play. It doesn't look like he's still dealing with a foot injury. Nate Gary was limited participation with an ankle and knee. Still hasn't played since week five, if I'm not mistaken. Corey Graham, still old, still slow, still on the limited participation. Uh Offensive tackle Lane Johnson who and running back Darren Sproles are both limited participants with a knee and a hamstring respectively but it looks like they are going to play Sunday which is awesome dude Lane Johnson he's a tough son of a gun bro to play through the high ankle sprain and the MCL what is it grade two MCL sprain and just be like nah I'm not missing anything in fact it's so weird dude I was looking up like Uh, a report card for the Eagles, like halfway through the season, or it it was some article for, for bleeding green nation.com. I know it sounds great. I'm pitching it real well, but, uh, Lane Johnson from weeks one to four, where he struggled. Then he gets the high ankle sprain in week five and he goes on a tear. He's been awesome for the past four games. And just is beat up and is really toughing now. So it's nice that he's able to play because that offensive uh, line depth is a concern. You know, Jason Peters still dealing with the biceps is going to be dealing with that all season. But you also love to get Sproles back.
0: You know, this is a unfounded guess of a theory that'd be really interesting to look into. And maybe I will. With my abundance of free time, Lane gets the ankle sprain injury and starts playing better and starts charting out better. Lane's preferred style of pass protection is he likes to drop into 45 degree and vertical sets. So more passive sets, giving up space. Let the rusher come to him. The rusher kind of dictates what direction they go. He tries to go through Lane. He tries to go to the outside or to the inside. And then Lane, because he's a great athlete and he's very long, places his hands and steers him kind of beyond where he wants to go. And if he tries to come through with power, Lane has great flexibility and can drop his anchor. But it's easy to give up like pressures, like the Marcus Hunt forced fumble against the Colts. Lane right. blocked Marcus Hunt. Like right. Lane won the rep, and yeah. then while Carson was releasing, Hunt jumps, swings out with an arm, and is able to bat the ball away. You know, so that's like a like Lane gave up a forced fumble while protecting the way he like always does. Right. Yeah. When you get a high ankle sprain, it's very likely, in my opinion, we'll have to go to the tape and see. I wouldn't be surprised if Lane. Much more heavily started using jump sets and being yeah. more aggressive in his sets, winning early with a punch, winning early with power. So he wasn't responsible for mirroring in space nearly as much. It's taking some of the strain off of that ankle, which yeah. I, that would be so cool if that was true. And we're going to have to go find out.
1: It makes a ton of sense. I actually want to watch that now. But yeah, go ahead. Yep.
0: And it feels like a Brandon Thorne question. It's something that I want to talk to him about. <laughs> but Darren Sproles coming back is exciting. And it's not like obviously the Eagles need some help running the football. And that's part of it. But to me, the most exciting thing is I think Sproles is by far their best back in pass protection. Unlike Wendell Smallwood, he's not going to give up at least one sack a game in terms of just completely missing an assignment. You know, Sproles may uh, have, you know, missed 20 of the past 22 Eagles games, but he still knows protection calls and he understands blitz blitzback. He's been playing in the league for over a decade. Uh, You expect him to be able to read and respond to blitz as well, and then at least get in the way. It gives Carson time to recover, just time to get the ball out, time to escape. So I think Sproles returning is big for the pass, is big for pass protection. That's where I I expect to see the biggest boost.
1: Absolutely. And you look at what the Dallas Cowboys are dealing with injury-wise. Sean Lee, surprise, surprise, is expected to miss four to six weeks. He tweaked a hamstring on Monday night against the Titans. So. Really doesn't hurt them that bad. Jalen Smith playing some some pretty doggone good football. Leighton Vanderes can step in for him. They're in nickel most of the time anyway. Uh, you also have the starting left guard. Connor Williams is expected to be out this week as well, which means you either get Xavier Suafilo or this guy named Adam Redman. Who, when I went to the SB Nation profile for him, did not have a picture or any information that I could uh, discern who yes. this player was. <laughs> so, uh, a Madden generated <laughs> <Promising>. player. <laughs> <laughs> um, also did not participate. Tavon Austin's probably going to be out for the game. He's dealing with a groin injury. Uh, Taco Charleston's beat up with a shoulder. David Irving with an ankle. Tight end Jeff Swain with a knee. Linebacker Joe Thomas probably not playing with a foot. Wide receiver Deontay Thompson with ribs. Uh, limited participation. Randy Gregory and Zach Martin are both beat up with knees. And Judobia Wuze is coming back from an ankle. He was a full participant. I think the big story here is obviously uh, the guard connor williams not being available even though i thought he really struggled in the tape that, that i watched especially against the titans bringing in suafilo or this guy redmond who i've never heard of that could be a boon for the eagles and i was already kind of circling that matchup anyway like get me fletcher cox on connor williams because i don't know if connor has the functional strength right now in his rookie season to be able to deal with him on the inside like that so uh ben your thoughts on the cowboys
0: firstly I didn't realize Deontay Thompson was with the Cowboys. This is a fun fact. You didn't learn new things every day. Uh, secondly, Adam <laughs> Redmond, sir, uh, oh was a Harvard University uh, offensive lineman and long snapper. A Little position versatility. <laughs> Undrafted free agent for the Colts.
1: You can tell. You can tell Ben is reading all of this and uh, this presenting from it memory. as if
0: Active roster for a month with the Colts, then he was only the Bills practice squad for a while, and now he's potentially starting for the Cowboys. So
1: If the Bills let him go with what they were dealing with, people were, Bills fans yeah. were asking me about Chance Warmack in the preseason.
0: Bless him. Oh, bless him. <laughs> Speaking of Chance Warmack, did you see the quote that Warmack gave uh, Mike Kay, once out oh, of Bleeding Green Nation?
1: No. What, what uh, did he so, say?
0: So Kay asked, Kay was uh, the man, I love Mike, asks warmack uh he says like Warmack says that uh he the Eagles uh coaches are working with him on his positional versatility, right? And then Kay was like, so like what positions? And Warmack declined to comment. So what? <laughs> right, so if he's working with your positional versatility, is it like, oh now you're learning how to play right guard also? Like how are you <laughs> gonna be like yes I'm becoming versatile and then not share what what position you're working on. That's the silliest thing.
1: I've got an idea. Because Doug Peterson in the presser was asked about putting Jordan Mylotta at running back. What if it's a Chance Warmack fullback and Jordan Mylotta at running back goal line set? I am all in for that. That's a ton of beef. Okay,
0: so Jason Peters, left tackle. Uh, yeah. Then Salmolo left guard, Kelsey center, Brooks right guard, Lane Johnson right tackle, Halepulivati Vitae at tight end, right, Matt Pryor ahead. as the other tight end, yep. uh, Warmack is fullback, Milata is running back, and then out at wide receiver Shelton Gibson, I think probably makes the most <laughs> sense, you know, maybe maybe, maybe <laughs> a little Donnell Pumphrey, you know, another heavy hitter. Um, I like that, listen... <laughs> if they give my lotta a touch, I'll like it from a fan perspective. I really won't get it from an analyst perspective. But oh, right. I, right. If they're at a point where they're putting Redman out on the field or the alternative Xavier Suofilo, who's was a starter for the Texans at one point, I think, and has never really been yeah. a, a high quality guy. Yeah. Williams was struggling, which makes sense. He's transitioning to interior offensive line when he played tackle at Texas. Uh, and he's not a high mass guy. He wasn't like yeah. a, a tackle convert because he's like a big, huge dude who didn't have great mobility. It was a length Not concern. like an
1: Orlando well, Brown type. He was yeah, a quick Well, guess what, what? Length
0: length problems are still length problems in the inside, and then also he doesn't have great functional mass, uh, uh, functional strength. He was always a screen away guy. Uh, so I didn't like the the idea of transitioning him to guard, and I don't think it's going particularly well. I think he'll be fine after some learning, uh, but I just don't see how it plays to your player's strengths. Whatever. Yeah, the Cowboys are super interesting to me from an offensive line perspective because obviously they're dealing with some health issues. I think Teron Smith's Quality of play has dropped a bit. You know, dealt with back injuries, and, and back injuries are really gonna hurt a tackle simply because of the amount of strain that you're putting on your posture in your kick st- in your kick slide. Uh, then Le'Al Collins on the outside is definitely still a, uh, a drop off from Ronald Leary, as we've known for a couple seasons now. And then yeah. they they don't have Travis Frederick anymore. Uh, obviously, Frederick dealing with Guillain Barr syndrome, which you know this is just a terrible thing and tough for uh, to happen for a guy. So you know, thoughts and prayers out there. Uh, and then now you got Connor Williams. This offensive line has been struggling, I think. And and I'm interested to hear your thoughts. I, I told you I had a question I wanted to ask you on air. This is the question. I would argue another reason this offensive line is struggling is because I can't identify an offensive identity in the running game for this team. Like yeah. what what style running team are they? Tell me.
1: Well, let's see. I've got the notes on, on what they like to run here. You're going to see... Uh, you're gonna see duo, which uh, you get yes. the two inside double teams, and Elliot picks his lane based on the Mike linebackers' decision. And Elliot does show fantastic vision and patience to set up his blocks on those. They'll run I formation, delay lead, like it's in the 1990s. They sprinkled in wham. We've talked about wham a thousand times on here and in articles for BleedingGreenNation.com. And as a side note, I thought it was interesting they ran a wham earlier on against the Titans. The Titans had a slant on and it just totally blew it up. Jon Brown was like right in the hole for it. That didn't work. They did they, they do a lot of counter, a lot of crack toss from heavy sets to try to outflank. Dude, it's and and then like some zone. Like I don't see a consistent theme from them that they necessarily work off of. They just feels like they have like 20 different concepts that they aren't necessarily fantastic at right now as a unit. I would rather with a newer unit like trying to gel together, and you got Williams and and Collins trying to work together, and they're, they're a little miscast, and then you have your center being replaced. I would rather them try to be good at one thing than try to do 20 different things. That's what I saw. What did you see, Ben?
0: Yeah, so here's my thing. I watched three games of the Dallas Cowboys. I would now like to read to you, all of the running plays that i was able to identify just in general categories okay mm-hmm. i'm sure there are ones that i missed cuz i'm not great at the the intricacies of running plays i saw handback punch i saw wide zone i saw iso i saw duo i saw inside zone i saw split zone i saw crack toss a gt counter lead i saw gt counter i saw split single back power split zone weak wham single back iso inside zone weak single back iso h back lead
1: That's a lot. Yeah, that's what I'm saying.
0: I'll put it to you this way. Like, they come out in a three, like in 13 personnel with three tight ends. They put them all up on the line and they're in single back and they run duo. And then they come out with a a bunch set in 13 personnel and they run crack crack back toss. And and then they come out (laughs) in 11 personnel and they run uh, inside Inside zone. zone. (laughs) And they come out and yeah. Right. And it's like, it's uh, like pick a personnel, pick a few running plays, stop this. You know what what I mean? Like to me, You're greatly like you're you're asking your offensive line to do so much in terms of all the different schemes you're asking them to execute, and it becomes predictable and stale. You know what I mean? Like I never once looked at you know uh, Prescott under center with a fullback and and a halfback in the eye behind him and went like, oh man, like let's watch out for anything besides like you know iso lead or Yankee off of iso lead." I right. never once saw them come out in 13 personnel with like double wing and go like, let's look out for anything besides duo and wide zone or PA rollout levels. You know, what I mean? like it's, 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 right. it's obviously you're not going to hit 100%, but like when they're in bunch, it's crack toss or it's inside zone weak, or if they're passing it, it's high low across the middle of the field. Yeah. They're very like, here's the, in this personnel we run this and in this personnel we run this and it's just stale and I don't find it very uh imaginative or tricky in my opinion you know what i mean
1: yeah they don't do enough off of all those concepts because their passing game is basically the same thing all the time you see those shallow crossers with the dig over top and you've got a pivot route with cole beasley you've got runoff guys on that it's so weird and and obviously ben and refocusing here and and getting into some of the more major themes of this offense as we preview them for this Mm -hmm. game I don't think there's any question that their offense is a massive issue for them right now. And one of my major issues is why aren't they using Dak Prescott's legs? You've got a mobile quarterback and you look at his game log and you see the Jaguars game, 11 rushes, 82 yards and a touchdown. That's the only game in which he's had double digit rushes against the Titans, two rushes, 11 yards. Both of them were scrambles. Why? If your run game isn't giving you what you need, and Dak isn't a quarterback that can solely win with his arm, what's up with the vanilla game plan there? Why ignore his best asset right now, his best friend as a quarterback? Our friend, John Owning, he wrote a piece for Sports Day Dallas News, and in it, he says, quote, taking Prescott's legs out of the game plan it would be like dulling a sword before a duel, unquote. And I think that's a fantastic quote to explain that. And Ben, We recently got to watch the Panthers run game and how creative it is and how they utilize Cam as a runner. And this, compared to this Dallas offense, they're like polar opposites in like the worst way uh, to Mm -hmm. what North Turner is is doing successfully in Carolina, who, by the way, they run play action like 7% more than Dallas. Uh, Ben, you're raising your hand. Go ahead.
0: Well, so Carolina, I'm so happy you brought up Carolina because I'm talking about kind of this stale, segmented personnel and formation tells and the one thing that carolina does so well is they yeah. come out with you know like the same four five six skill players you know they're just kind of like rotating guys but it's the same basic sets and they come out in in the same like 11 personnel and they're just running like you know deuce left or they're running like trips right you know whatever and you don't know who's gonna motion and what they're gonna do and they're running everything out of pistol and they're running stuff out of the gun and, and when Newman goes under senate there's a lot of different things everything is is, is it, there's flow and there's, there's, there's confusion and there's deception because they're not tipping their hand with what they're doing pre-snap. They are the antithesis of Dallas in this way. Yep. The, the Turner offense makes sense. It's constructed as like a gestalt. There's an actual whole picture. Whereas Linehan is just like, well, like, you know, back in my day when I saw the I formation, that's what we ran out of it. So we're running this out of it. And like, this is what you can run on a bunch of sets. We're doing this. And there's no ingenuity. There's no innovation. <laughs> so, and, and I love the point you brought up with, with Prescott. I think we got we to gotta talk a bit about Dak.
1: Let's do it. Yeah.
0: Yeah. R- why aren't you running him outside? I agree with you. You got a mobile quarterback. Do it. Give him half field reads. Get the defense flowing. It makes sense. And they do some split zone boot stuff. And I think that's good. And they should do more of it. But a big reason that I would be pulling him and moving him is because Dak is really struggling under pressure in my opinion i haven't looked specifically at his stats under pressure but to me it's not so much like all right when he's pressured what's happening it's the second Dak sees color he's bailing he wants to get rid of the football he's frantic his mechanics go i mean through the wood chipper his mechanics go out the window when he feels a hint of pressure like you know one of Carson's greatest strengths is his ability when he knows a hit's coming, or when he knows he's got pressure, he can still deliver a great football with good upper body mechanics, even when his lower body area is compromised. Dak doesn't have that, right? He loses his hip torsion, his arm slot goes all over the place, and he can't control the, the flight of the football. And that's where you see a, a lot of balls for Dak are just sailing into the boundary, uh, especially up the field. And because and, and, and to me, he can't keep his upper body mechanics stable under pressure whatsoever. You've got to get him out of the pocket. I think that's going to help. The alternative is the way they hung 40 points on Jacksonville, which is he throws it to a shallow crosser within two seconds of the snap every single freaking play.
1: You've got that. And, then you know, you can also use them in the read option game. They they, they have to – they can't put – Right now, in the situation they're in, they came out of a buy with a losing record, and they still have bubble wrap on this guy. Run more read option, make it a threat. Give this offense something that you have to think about because we've just been—I mean, we we were calling out what they were running as you were saying the formation and the personnel. It's it's so basic right now for them. They're averaging 19 points a game. It's not the time to put Dak and bubble wrap. You got to win games. All bets are off. So it's baffling to me, Ben. And and to your point with him feeling pressure. Here's the problem. So the Eagles have only played one game this year where a quarterback, they've only gone over 2.4 one time. That was the Jacksonville Jaguars. They sacked Blake Bortles four times that game. Now, for context, in 2.4 seconds, that would average fourth in the league if it were an actual quarterback. Sam Bradford leads the league at like 2.31 as the quickest time to throw. Dak Prescott, is 37th out of 39th in time to throw at 2.83 seconds. So why have him sit Bad. in the pocket? You gotta move him. He's gonna sit in that pocket. He's gonna feel pressure. He's under pressure like at the ninth highest rate. He's the number one highest sack rate quarterback in the league right now. He is a mobile quarterback that is taking a sack like that. That's holding on to the ball. They're not moving him with his legs. None of it makes any sense to me, Ben. Like I would fire this staff so quick. And we get calls for, for people to get fired, like Schwartz to get fired and stuff. Like, no, no, no. That is nothing, nothing compared to what this offense is putting together. I would be losing my mind if I was a Dallas fan, and I know we make a fun, make fun of a lot of these offenses, like we did with the Jaguars, because they're not good. This is—you said this on Twitter. This is the Jaguars' offense, basically, and it's it's probably even more bland than that because they use Blake Bortles and more read option stuff than they read than they use with Dak Prescott. I don't get it, man. I don't know what they're trying to establish. You you alluded to them having no identity. I completely one hundred percent agree with that. I just I just don't know what I'm looking at with this Dallas offense and I I don't think it's going to be a problem for the Eagles.
0: So my thing like you know when I made the the Jaguars offense kind of analogy there is the fact that the the like the concepts are basic and whether or not they're they're more basic and they're kind of more you know there's a lack of creativity which you know which lacks more creativity the Jaguars or the Cowboys I don't really know. Um, but there's you have that aspect of it. Then yeah, to me you have a quarterback whose play is just very up and down and really can only execute some simple first read style of stuff. Right. Then you know that's the analogy. And then the final thing is this offensive line is underperforming in part because of injury. So that's kind of the three parts of the analogy to the the Jacksonville offense. Obviously, you've got uh, Hackett and Lenehan are both going to have West Coast backgrounds to them, but I think Hackett's. Uh, depth of target is probably a little bit closer, uh, down to the line of scrimmage, whereas the Cowboys are more willing to try to attack intermediate areas of the field. Um, Correct, yeah. but like, uh, you know, so it's a, it's a general analogy, but yeah, like it's, it's kind of what you're reminded of when you watch the, the Cowboys offense, especially having just watched the Jaguars offense, it's tough to ignore the similarities. Um. The last point that I think I would make about Dak, like you said, holding on to the football and, and keeping the ball in the pocket for so long, he just seems to me really unwilling to test man coverage uh, in yeah. terms of he'll see he's got a one on one, either pre or post snap, and he'll look it down, he'll hitch and he'll hitch and he'll hitch and then he'll bury it. He won't, He'll he'll keep the football and he won't send it. And that's something that you know, when you're playing as a, as a confident quarterback and you feel like you're in your bag and you feel like you trust your offensive line and your pass catchers, yeah, you're just going to send that puppy. You know what I mean? You're going to put it down the field. Dak doesn't like to do that. It seems yeah. to me that he very much does not want to be testing man coverage. The caveat I'll put there is they ran a lot of isolation routes with Amari Cooper against the Titans. man coverage, and Dak was feeding Cooper. And part of that is, well, Cooper's obviously this big, shiny new toy, and you want to feed him because you just traded for him. There's kind of a little bit of confirmation bias there. The other thing is You know, Michael Gallup, Bryce Butler, uh, Tavon Austin, they're not asking those receivers to run these, like, multi-break isolation routes that they're giving to Cooper, even on week one. You know, Cooper's running these, like, you know, this whip route and this little, like, fake slant comeback sort of a situation. And, you know, that's stuff that they just weren't asking the other receivers to do because clearly they didn't feel they had the capacity to do it. Um, So, you know, maybe Dak's ability to just trust in on Cooper is going to improve his ability to get the ball out a little bit quicker, especially when they just designate Cooper as the ba- as read, uh, you know, man on man, isolated, you know, on the backside or what have you. But I don't think Cooper is a, a panacea. I don't think he solves the entire problem. And Dax right. still kind of need, you know, Dax still needs to be able to trust him very quickly, having just traded for him. And then you kind of hope that that trust improves his confidence and spills into everything else. That's really what I think the Cowboys are banking on in terms of the, the trade for Cooper in this season.
1: And we can laugh about the Cowboys giving up a first-round pick that gets increasingly more expensive as the season wears on. But that's not really important for what we're talking about today because that missing first-round pick wasn't supposed to play on Sunday. Instead, you get Amari Cooper, and you have to deal with that on the field. And this Eagles secondary will be tasked with stopping him, if you remember and I know there's a lot of these plays, so it's hard to keep track, but Amari Cooper burned Jalen Mills on a double move last year in week 16, 63-yard touchdown, simple slow route. Mills isn't playing, but that doesn't mean that that danger isn't real because the rest of the secondary has been susceptible to the same thing too, just not at the same level. In fact, the Cowboys ran two of those sluggos uh, right around the red zone area against the Titans. And one was the 23-yard touchdown sluggo to Alan Hearns, which happened in the same area and the same side as the Devin Funchess sluggo on Darby. So look out for that. And just beyond the obvious double move stuff and the stuff that everybody talks about, Amari Cooper, for all of his issues with drops in the past and Grootin leaking out that there are work ethic concerns, which I said myself on here that I did not believe, I find it really hard to believe that Cooper isn't working hard because he is a crafty technician as a route runner always has been and he flashed some of that on Sunday against the Titans the pivot route for the touchdown was particularly crunchy and smooth at the same time so you're, you look at these receiving core you've also got and I, and I want to lead this over into a question to you Ben I'm going to make you pick an over under but you've also got the rookie Michael Gallup uh, rapper first football player second Cole Beasley and a tight end any tight end you don't really know about and that's the Cowboys' tight end. It really doesn't matter. You'll see them try a lot of rubs with Beasley underneath from close alignments. And they'll, they'll get them on a shallow cross or a pivot and a, and a dig over top of them. It's all very similar. But Ben, the Cowboys in eight games, they have thrown for over 200 yards in only three games. So full disclosure, they have done it twice in a row now with losses. Did it with Cooper in the building. You figure that they'll try to get Dak in a rhythm early like they did against the Titans with some curls and some slants to work the soft spots in his cover three defense in front of the outside deep corners and away from the flat defender. So with that in mind, the question is, can he keep that rhythm? Can he expand on that rhythm and make the more difficult throws in tough situations? And can he hurt the Eagles down the seams and downfield over under 200 yards passing for the Cowboys on Sunday?
0: Over? Because either the Cowboys pass for a good amount of yardage, In the first three quarters, and they beat 200, or they don't, and the Eagles jump to a lead, and then they let the Cowboys get back in it, throwing the football, and they clear 200. To me, this is a situation where literally, like, this is going to sound stupid, but one of two things is going to happen. One, the Cowboys are going to throw it all over the Eagles, because the Eagles can't generate pressure, and the Eagles give up that underneath space to the outside, uh, in front of their cover three corners, who have eight yard cushions, and Dak's just going to feed those little Amari Cooper slant routes for fifteen targets and twelve catches and a hundred and forty yards, right? Dog,
1: I, I I saw those slant routes, and then I saw them run slant flat, and I was like, oh, here we go, New York. It's it's going to be the New York game plan from last year, where we got where we got torched, and we got that boat race with Nick Foles and Eli Manning going at it. But please, uh, go ahead. Sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt you. That's that's what I got visions of. Like th- this is how the Cowboys would score. This this is the right. only way.
0: <laughs> it's either that or they they won't be able to throw the football at all because the pass right. rush will be getting home and the corner is going to be able to play aggressive down into the short routes. It's like, it, to me, like one of the polls is going to happen. It's either going to be the Cowboys passing attack shows up in a big way and everybody lauds the Cooper trade and oh my gosh, Dallas offense is saved or floodgates (laughs) uh yeah the the Dak Prescott 37th out of 39 quarterbacks in terms of time to throw is going to get his head taken off multiple times you know to me to me it's like one of the two extremes is going to happen I would guess the second uh, I think Philadelphia's pass rush has a big advantage against this offensive line I think that you've got uh Fletcher Cox going up against you know obviously if Williams is not playing then you know a backup and then technically a backup center who's been starting for the entire year, obviously. And then Zach Martin, who he has just annually owned in a way that nobody has owned Zach Martin. Just Fletcher Cox has always eaten against Zach Martin kind of inexplicably. I think the Fletcher Cox and the interior pressure is going to be the big, uh, the big go-to for the Eagles, and I would expect them to win in that regard, generate pressure, and then the Jim Schwartz defense does what it does. They harass the quarterback, and they make life difficult.
1: If you're Jim Schwartz and you're approaching this week, and I, I honestly haven't thought about this too much myself, other than getting out of your typical cover three coverage, which they run more than any other coverage, you can, you can look at the data, you can look at the film, it all, it all says the same thing. Is there anything different that you're doing for Dak other than maybe accounting for the fact that he's right-handed and sending pressure that way. Are you sending more blitzes, uh, kind of like you did against Blake Bortles? Are you approaching him in a Blake Bortles kind of way? Because I wouldn't mind a game plan like that. Because what the Tennessee Titans doing now that I'm thinking about it, it, we've seen the Tennessee Titans defense before in prep for a game and against the Eagles. And what Dean Pease was able to do was create confusion in front of Dak Prescott's face, bring pressure from a lot of different angles, throw stunts in there, bring late guys that confuse the offensive line and really confuse a a guy like Connor Williams. And now he's going to be replaced. So you're hoping you can get guys clean by your alignment, by your deception. I would imagine that Schwartz would try some more blitzes early on in the game and kind of like in the Jaguars game where he didn't blitz a whole lot early, but he went heavy with it in the third quarter. If one or two of those get home early and I, I expect him to send them, then he's just going to start bringing, bringing the farm.
0: The amount of blitzes he brought against the Jaguars was pretty wild.
1: But then he started bailing out of them, too. So he was a little bit of both. Yeah. And it wasn't really in the first half.
0: Yeah, I don't think he wants to send that many. I don't know how how desperate they're going to be to get pressure on Dak to the point where they're going to be sending a ton of blitzes. Uh, it might be something he pitches as a change-up. Kind of like you said, he did it more in the second half than he did in the first half. Uh, especially if the ball starts coming out just like, you know, quicker and it's bubble ideas and it's like, you know, mesh ideas and just, you know, very minimal stuff and forcing the Eagles DBs to tackle, then yeah, maybe you see it.
1: I'm watching him see the blitz come and you can see his brain just like jump out of his ear. Like, that's what I'm seeing. So maybe Schwartz is seeing the same thing. That's, that's kind of my point with it. But, you know, at the same time, I don't think Schwartz is going to be desperate to just to like blitz a lot either. But I wonder if that's, like, something that he noticed and is going to have an uptick in blitzing for that. Because he's not a real big blitzer. I mean, what do we blitz, like, 31st most in the league?
0: No, yeah. And I feel like, from what I saw in the film, I think Dak is willing to check protections, in my opinion. Like, I think he's quite good at identifying blitz packages. And they full slide and they half slide pretty nicely on the offensive line. To me, it comes down to, looking at this offensive line, especially with a new starter in for Williams, I'd just be looking for more isolation one-on-one matchup sending four. That would be my Mm. gut instinct and also what I expect from Schwartz just because that's what he's historically done. That being said, he is coming off of one of his most blitz-heavy games against the Jaguars, and so maybe that's something he continues to come to. Schwartz, simply as a coordinator, is definitely including more blitzes in recent games than I remember him doing. And I, I said today on Twitter, this really isn't like a, a wide nine defense anymore, you know, where it's like every snap, right. the, the defensive ends are out here, and I'm only ever sending four. He does a lot more, you know, he conflates a lot more of his looks, and then he, confusion and deception, and he's, he's, you know, bringing up linebackers, and he's bringing up safeties, and he's blitzing nickels off the edge and whatever. He's doing a lot more of that style of stuff. Uh, obviously, I think the the character, the the colonel, you know, it's on the inside is still wide nine, rush four, and that's what he wants to go for. And when he has like a, a clear rush down, like a third and 10 plus, that's still what he's doing. Um, but he is willing to conflate it more. So we're going to see blitzing. Um, yeah. but, to, but to me, this reads more as your, your four-man rush sort of a game.
1: Here's a, here's a fun one, too. I think he can show blitzes and not blitz a whole lot and get them into heavier protections where they get those two- and three-man routes where you see a bunch of that from the Dallas Cowboys, and you've just got a bunch of cover guys, and you've got a guy that likes to sit back there with the football and make bad decisions with it so that's part of it too so a little bit of cat and mouse game just throwing around some ideas for this defense uh ben do we have the over under for this game do we know what the spread is because i think i think we covered it unless there's a major point that you want to hit as far as this dallas cowboys offense goes And i'm just kind of stalling for time right now because that's what pros do and they do it very very smoothly as i pull Uh... this game up
0: (laughs) <laughs> My final point would be that they don't really throw the ball to Ezekiel Elliott except for screens, and that's yeah. stupid. But I don't care.
1: One of the things that worry me is Elliott in the screen screen game because uh, I, I think he can hurt you there. But yeah, they don't do a whole lot of that with him. They kind of use him the same way that the Giants use Saquon Barkley in the passing game, which is abysmal. All right, so the over under is forty three. The wow, the Eagles are uh, touchdown uh, seven and a half point favorites right now so 43 that's healthy. seven and a half
0: 25 to 18
1: so over under on dallas cowboys points we'll put it at let's put it with the jaguar score let's put it at 18 since they're the same <laughs> under under i like it under. yeah yeah i think this uh, i think this eagles team is completely capable of dominating this offense
0: Oh, yeah. No, I, I certainly think so, and, you know, this is a Cowboys team that put up 14 on the Titans defense, and... After a bye. Yeah, after a bye, and seven of those points were on a super short field, and I can't remember if the right. other touchdown was on a short field or not. I know they had they had two short fields early, and they didn't score on one of them, but regardless, uh, so to me, this, this you know... Uh, I think that this offense doesn't move the ball super well. The Titans did have the advantage of they just ate up a ton of clock, and I'm pretty sure they won the time of possession game pretty handily. Yeah. Uh, Philadelphia is not necessarily going to do that as much, especially because they can't run the football. So I'm worried about garbage time sort of situations, just you know, letting the Cowboys hang in the way the Eagles have done with every team they've beaten so far this year, right. uh, and some of the teams they've lost to as well. Uh, I, I will take the under, because I do believe that this is an Eagles defense that's good uh, as a defense, as a scoring defense. Obviously, on the road uh, is a little bit trickier, but... Got to have faith. Out of the bye. We got to believe, man.
1: Yeah, I mean, we spanked them on the road last year. And, you know, obviously we're not rolling like we were then. But still. All right, Ben. Yeah, I'm going to take the uh, the under as well with you there. And then tomorrow we are going to be back with the Eagles offense against this Cowboys defense preview. Also, we'll have a BGN radio episode out. I recently talked with Brian Westbrook. Go check that episode out. And let's see, what else? We got at the podiums, press conferences are out there. We got a ton of shows out there. Ben, uh, I I think that pretty much covers all the shows coming out for the future. There's a surprise new weekly show coming out very soon. And we're going to be talking even more about quarterbacks. And I'm also going to bring in a Cowboys beat writer to get their perspective on this team to make sure that everything that we're talking about is is accurate. It is. Don't worry about it. Uh, Ben, say goodbye to the gentle, gentle listeners.
0: Hey, gentle listeners. Thank you as always for listening to the Kist and Solak show here on BGN Radio. We do appreciate you swinging by. Uh, as always, I've been Benjamin Solak on Twitter at s o l a k. He's been Michael Kist on Twitter at Michael Kist NFL. That's K i s t. Did I spell my last name right? I feel like I forgot the K. S o l a k. Yeah, I'm. I'm pretty sure I said at uh, Benjamin Solak on Twitter at Check Benjamin Solak. That's S o l a k. Yeah, I got it. We're good. Alright, that's my name. I know how this works. Uh, Yeah, this was the Cowboys offense against the Eagles defense tomorrow, which is Friday. It will be the Eagles offense against the Cowboys defense. As Mike said, they're dealing with some injury there, uh, and you know, they can't be expected to win without Sean Lee. So we will tell you how they will be (laughs) weak without Sean Lee. When we come back on that Friday episode, you'll get all final predictions there as well. Eagles play on Sunday night. Excited to get done with this bye week. Get back to some Eagles football, man. It's gonna be good.
1: You know what? You know what's funny is I have people that follow me, which I don't know why they do to begin with. But like every now and then, like I'm pretty level headed on Twitter. I don't troll like a whole bunch for just for trolling sake. But every now and then, I'll throw out like a Sean Lee lion or or like something like that, and I'll get like a message or like a tweet with like my at, so you can only see it if like you're both following us or whatever. Mm Because most people don't understand that, but. I'm just—they're like I'm just so dis—I follow you for your knowledge, and I'm disappointed that you would like that you would troll like that. I'm like, dude, I'm human. One out of hundred tweets—that's—that's—that's that's, that's your gripe that I threw out a a, a thirty-eight to seven joke. <laughs> like, what's going on here? When did I get this reputation as a level-headed analyst? Right, I was just- about
0: to say who whomst among us is expecting you to be professional, and how can I? How can we break the news to them?
1: Have I not been getting that more? lately than you would think someone called me level-headed the other day a calm dude like michael kissed i was like who is this person
0: yeah clearly a a poser somebody who wishes they were a gentle (laughs) listener but has not put in the hours and does not understand
1: they haven't been a one since day one but all of you listening right now are a one since day one because we all we got we all we need fly eagles fly
0: Hey guys, this is John Stolnes from the Good Fight and the Phillies podcast, Hitting Season, where I talk to Phillies beat writers, broadcasters, and fellow Good Fight bloggers, as well as national baseball writers, and the occasional interview with Matt Klintak and Gabe Kapler. Also, you'll get continued success, a Phillies podcast hosted by Justin Clue and Liz Rocher, covering all things Phillies, and The Dirty Inning, a hilarious podcast hosted by Justin and Trevor Strunk looking at the very worst innings in Phillies history. Make sure you are subscribed to the Good Fight podcast feed.